Hey everybody, this is Matty, aka Panic in the UK. Ashley and I are in a huge blowout fight because one of us thinks that the intro music is too long, and the other one of us thinks that if we cut it off at the 12 second mark, then the melody doesn't resolve. I'm not going to tell you which one is which because I don't want to bias you, but the shorter version of the intro music is in this episode. Please get in touch with us. Ashley will tell you the socials and the email address at the end of the episode. And uh, you can let us know which version you think is better. And I think that the answer is obvious. Uh, this is just a reminder that we did record these episodes quite a while ago now. So there might be the odd thing that seems a little bit out of date. And we're also putting this one out slightly out of order. So references to prior episodes might not make complete sense but you know you get the gist. Ashley will be dropping in with a few corrections and clarifications throughout but other than that enjoy. So on this episode we are going to be talking about GM foods. This is our GM oh no episode and I actually had a lot of trouble. I'm sure that our dear listeners will reach out to us on our various uh, social media channels and or email addresses that we're going to uh, add later. Just telling me a million things that I missed but I really struggled to find films or TV shows or games or anything that were about the subject of GM food. So there's a lot of stuff about genetic mutation in general, and it's often like super soldiers or like all kinds of villainous, like kaiju type stuff. Or but it, it's stuff like that. It, it's living things that have been genetically mutated, rather well, obviously living things. But I mean, because <laughs> they're all living, because that's what organism means. But what I mean is ones that are not specifically for the purpose of providing food. So ones that are still alive when the story takes place rather than ones that are, you know, killed or picked or whatever. <laughs> Which is a Lovely, long... charming start. <laughs> <laughs> Which is a long-winded way of saying that I really struggled to find material for this episode. Um, so I've, I've got a few things, but it's not a huge amount. And for that reason, we're going to be flipping the script. So we're going to be doing the fiction side first, get it out of the way because it's not that impressive and then we're going to be moving on to the science which is the star of the show this time (laughs) (laughs) i I had a quick look as well when i was kind of looking for for an and i came across a film called splice did you come across that yes so splice i have seen i watched the trailer and was terrified (laughs) (laughs) well i actually quite like splice um it doesn't end very well but there are a lot of well, what I mean is that the ending is disappointing, but there's a lot of really interesting stuff in that movie. I think it's um, Sarah Polly is in that film. I did see Splice when it came out, um, but yes, it's it's not about... Uh, it's more about kind of creating a child or... Mm, that was what I got from it. Yeah, or it's like an animal that kind of becomes a surrogate child figure in this couple's mm. life. Um, so it's a really interesting... I can't tell you for sure because I was looking through my fingers through is, most of the trailer. <laughs> scary, yeah. It, it is It is a scary film, actually. I mean, I honestly think it's underrated because there is some really interesting stuff about in there about kind of cycles of abuse and trauma and stuff like that. It, it did look interesting, which is why I watched the trailer, but yeah, no, I, <laughs> I tried I, to. I do think it's interesting. I think it lets itself down a little bit in the last 10 minutes where it just kind of takes this twist that doesn't really work, but there is some really good stuff in there. But yeah, so I didn't look at Splice for the same reason I didn't look mm. at like Jurassic Park or a bunch of other stuff because as i said like that's not food related so i was trying to keep it focused to food um in the end i mean i watched little joe which i'd been meaning to watch yeah i did um i've been meaning to watch that for a while actually you know what let's save the little joe conversation (laughs) until later because i have a question for you on that I did wonder if Little Shop of Horrors counted because I, I saw that at the on the yeah. West End with my dad. But um, he pointed out that pretty sure the plant eats blood. So <laughs> probably not quite the same thing. <laughs> well, I when you mentioned that, I looked into it uh, and I reminded myself that Audrey Two is actually an alien, so not oh, really? <laughs> yeah, not genetically. It was modified. a while ago I saw it. <laughs> yeah. 
um but it's it's a great show i i mean i think i mean i i saw i saw a live version of it though not on the west end it was just like a amateur version but really high quality one that was Mm. very good fun but the film is great too yeah, I'm mm. I'm a big fan, but I had forgotten that it was an alien. I couldn't remember what <laughs> how it came about, but yeah, it's not genetic modification, sadly. Although Little Joe is definitely kind of in that vein, so um Hey, don't mention it. You you need to save that. No, it's okay. Uh, That's not a spoiler for my question. Okay. I was going to say something that was a spoiler for my question and I caught myself just in time, mm-hmm. but saying that it's in the vein of Little Shop of Horrors I think is is safe. Mm. All right, so shall I launch into my questions? Oh, and I do, I have six, and I know we agreed on five, but it's just a bonus one, and it, it gives you a chance for an extra point, so Ooh. it's in your favour. Uh, I suppose, that's a good point. Yeah. Uh, we'll see how we're getting on then. See okay. Do for time. Okay. Um, I just thought I'd quickly jump in with um, a description of what GMOs are for oh, yes. the listeners before we go into your question, um, just to make sure everyone's on the same page. Um, so GM foods are derived from genetically modified organisms, such as crops, um, and the technology generally involves a genetic engineering of the organism by inserting the DNA from one species um, into the genome or the, the genetic code of another species and therefore giving the plant or, or animal new characteristics. Um, currently, most GM foods are plant-based, but it's perfectly possible for animal-based foods to also be genetically modified, but as far as I'm aware, that's not being done or at least not commercially available right now so yes sorry you go (laughs) (laughs) yum yum okay so my first question relates to okja which i'm sure we'll talk about more true or false okja co-writer john ronson is a pescatarian i don't know (laughs) (laughs) how would i know that's not fair okay Um, zero point wait uh, false Oh no, I'm sorry, it's true. <sighs> I was oh, thinking maybe he'd be vegan after a film like that. Well, it's interesting you should say that, yeah. Um, um, although, although, oh, what's her name? What's the girl's name? Mija? Me- Me- Mija, yeah. Mija, she, she was eating fish. She was. So. I was hoping that yeah. might be a little bit of a clue. Yeah, it's uh, interesting actually. Yeah. I actually modified this question because my original question was is Bong Joon Ho a pescatarian? Uh, to mm. which I was pretty sure that the answer was no that he uh, eats meat. But mm. I actually found quite a lot of conflicting stuff on Bong Joon-ho. He became a vegan during the making of the film, mm. but then he went back to eating meat again after going back to South Korea. Um, That's surprising well, yeah, after that film. <laughs> yeah, I know. But yeah, I think it's because of the there's a real barbecue culture um, in South Korea. So, mm. and I think it, yeah, it was the Korean barbecue that tempted him back. But then subsequently he said that he was trying to reduce his meat consumption and that he was trying to become a pescatarian. And that was in 2017. <laughs> so mm. it may be the case that he is a pescatarian now, but I have no, I can neither confirm nor deny. But John Ronson, as of uh, 2017, was self-identified as a fish and chip <laughs> <laughs> So, um he doesn't eat well he says he doesn't eat meat i do consider fish to be meat but whatever but getting back to gmo yeah yeah. gmos (laughs) question two question two in this season 11 simpsons episode homer becomes a farmer and uses plutonium to merge tomato and tobacco plants creating the highly addictive tomaco is the episode called a there was a Homer had a plant, Tamako was its name-o. Okay. B, E-I-E-I annoyed grunt. Uh-huh. C, Tamako's as high as an elephant's eye. Mm-hmm. Or D, oh, give me a home where the Tamako roam. Oof. I'm feeling like it's either the first one or the last one, but I don't really have anything to go on there. Okay. <laughs> what's your favorite the first one but i've forgotten exactly how you said it now there was a homer had a plant tamako was its name oh yeah i can just imagine homer singing that so (laughs) i'm gonna go with that one uh well 
I agree. I can imagine Homer saying that. Unfortunately, you <laughs> made it up. The I made it up. I had a, I had a really good time making up all the old Snoop's <laughs> titles for this episode. Uh-huh. And honestly, I think mine are better than the real one, which is okay. B, which one was E I E I annoyed grunt and oh, again, that was my. I least thought it would be that. Well, here's the thing. Annoyed grunt is the way that they say doe in the Simpsons script. So oh, it's E I E I doe, which. Uh. Uh, I mean, uh, yeah, yeah. I think you asked unfairly then. Oh really? <laughs> mm, okay. Annoyed grunt isn't the same as doll. <laughs> well, but that's the name of the episode. That's how. That is the hmm. name of the episode. Hmm. All right. Well, let's see if you get this one then. Okay. True or false? And I put in some true or falses in this one, and Good. I put in some ones that only had three possible answers. Because and yeah, I'm still still on zero. <laughs> Alright, true or false, after watching this episode, a Simpsons fan successfully created a tomato plant. Oh, really? Oh, well, wait, true or false. You've got to decide. Okay. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go with true because I just really hope it's true. Hooray! And you're Is right! It? Yes. yes, you're right. No, he didn't use plutonium. He Good. He used uh, a cutting-edge scientific technique known as grafting so he grafted a tomato plant to a tobacco root and it did actually produce a fruit so this guy was called rob bauer and this isn't for points but guess what americans what u.s state he is from because i feel like this is really like emblematic of this particular state but i'll see if if you think so too i want to say texas but I don't know why. <laughs> no, it's actually Oregon. He's from Lake Oswego, Oregon. And this is all from a... Just imagine them having tobacco in Texas. Well, yeah, I'm sure that's true. But I just feel mm. like Oregon is such a... I don't know. Like, the the kind of guy who would watch a Simpsons episode and then be like, I'm going to try grafting a tomato plant onto a tobacco root now. So, so, just... so what did it What did it actually produce then? What was, what, what, what was it? <laughs> Right, so this is all according to a Wired article by Kristen Filipkowski in 2003. Um, Mm. So Rob Bauer of Lake Oswego, Oregon, made this graft. And he actually tried to also do the reverse and graft a tobacco plant onto a tomato root, but that one didn't work. Now, it does say that it bore fruit, Mm. but Bauer says he thinks it's poisonous due to the likely nicotine content. Right. Uh, but I, he was never able to get the actual fruit tested. Um, I guess yeah. he just wasn't able to get it to the lab in time or whatever. But he did get a forensic researcher to test one of the leaves, which mm. did contain nicotine. Mm. So it obviously was a true graft. Um, yeah, and the forensic researcher was a guy called Roy Grimsbow, which is a pretty cool name. Mm. And he says he only had the one fruit and we didn't get a chance to test that. So I don't know why that was, but yeah, I can only speculate. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, but um, Bauer apparently had a lot of relatives who were heavy smokers who had had lung cancer. I think his dad died of lung cancer. Or, no, sorry, his dad lost a lung and then died of colon cancer, I think, actually. Mm. But anyway, he, he had a lot of uh, relatives who were smokers who, who died of lung cancer or contracted lung cancer. So he was like a big opponent, actually, of the tobacco industry. And obviously the... Well, not obviously, I suppose, but the episode mm-hmm. is not very flattering to the um, tobacco industry, so I think he appreciated that aspect mm. of it. Mm. That was pretty cool. pretty cool. Yeah. And you mm. got a point. Well yes, done you. finally. <laughs> <laughs> all right question four okay in the futurama yep, episode leela and the gene stalk beans are spliced with the dna of which animal to make them larger is it a an elephant b hippopotamus c whale or d cthulhu a what a Cthulhu. It's a kind of uh, racist space octopus created by H.P. Lovecraft. I kind of feel like I've seen this episode. Like, I, I kind of, I feel I can picture beans. Oh, but interesting. I haven't got a clue. Um, I feel like the obvious one is Cthulhu, because that's the odd one out. 
but that also feels too obvious uh-huh. because it's the odd one out. So I think you'd be tricking me, but maybe it's a double bluff. <laughs> so uh, that doesn't help. I think that you should bear in mind that sometimes I like to make jokes in my answers. So right. try to th- think, you know, maybe that could be me trying to be a little bit funny, you know, trying to uh-huh. make people laugh. Yes, hilarious. Um, <laughs> I just want to get some answers right. That's all I care about. And I'm not doing very well. I feel like a whale would be... What did she use the beans for? I guess you can't answer questions. That was no, I can answer it. I don't think that it makes... I don't think it makes a difference. Um, she's just trying to make the beans bigger because she is trying to feed the world, basically. So it's oh, mom. Okay who is kind of the evil capitalist of the Futurama universe. And it's an interesting depiction of her, actually, because the episode kind of walks a line between saying that it thinks GMO is wrong or kind of arguing... It, It just feels like it really sits on the fence when it comes to, like, the ethics of GMO. Um, But mom's plan is not really evil. Like, she wants to make a profit, but she's basically just trying to make foods that will feed the world because a lot of people are hungry, which Mm. feels kind of reasonable. So, yeah, so she's just trying to make them bigger um, and she splices them with the DNA of a big animal. So it could be any of the big animals I've listed. Uh, I feel elephant is the second obvious one because... As a kid, when you think of a big animal, elephant's the first thing that comes to mind. But I feel like whale is a little bit more of a hilarious cartoon picture. So I'm going to go for that because that's the funny picture in my head. But tell me what it is. It's elephant. Oh, for God's sake. I'm sorry. (laughs) I hate your questions. I'm sorry. (laughs) What can I do to make the questions better for you? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Let me watch all the watch everything first. <laughs> mm, that doesn't seem fair. Okay, we're gonna do six. We're gonna do yeah. all six of them. Uh, so this is number five. In Little Joe, plant oh, right, breeders okay. are trying to create a plant to do what? And I've only got three options here. Mm-hmm. Is it A, feed the world? Is it B, cure infertility? Or is it C, make people happy? Yeah. You said you were going to watch this. I should have at least read the read the blurb. <laughs> um, feed the world feels too obvious. Um, what was what was the second one? Cure infertility. Cure infertility. Yeah. yeah. Is it a dark film? Do they say cure infertility, but actually they're wanting to make everyone infertile? <laughs> well, if I answered that question, I'd be giving it away. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for make everyone happy then, because that sounds nice. Woo! You did is it. Is that right? That is yes. right. Yes. Yes. So- I accidentally watched this film thinking, I think I think I already knew actually what they were trying to do, but I'd sort of forgotten. Um, and I watched it in preparation for this episode and then realised that actually they weren't making genetically modified food at all. So it wasn't no. really super relevant, but I thought I'd throw in a question anyway, seeing as I did watch it. Uh, yeah, so they're, they're trying to make people happy, they're plant breeders. But it is a dark film, unfortunately. Oh. So the main plant breeder, played by Emily Beecham, uh, uses a viral vector, which hasn't been oh. officially approved. Interesting, like the vaccines. Mm. Mm. And actually, another thing that's kind of interesting, obviously this film came out pre-pandemic, um, mm. but there's a lot of stuff about everybody having to wear face masks because of the pollen. Mm. Because while they're trying to determine whether the pollen causes any kind of risk, everybody has to wear these face masks. And it's really interesting, actually, watching people in movies wear face masks. Do they wear them under their noses? They don't wear them under (laughs) their noses, but, like, they don't pinch the little bit of metal to make it fit better. What noobs. (laughs) Are you ready for my question, son? Yeah, bring them on. Okay. As of 2015, mm-hmm. 180 million hectares of land was utilised for GM crop growth. Wow. What percentage of the world's arable land does this equate to? Is it 5%, 7%, 10% or 12%? 
Oh my god. I have no idea what a hectare is. I have no, I mean, I have no concept whatsoever. It's a unit of land. <laughs> well, other than that, I can't picture what a hectare is. I can't. So it's just going to be a complete wild guess. And I'm going to go for 7%, partly because it's not, because like if it were a round number like 5 or 10, like that seems a bit convenient. Um, mm. 7 seems like a reasonable number. I'm going to go for seven. Seven percent. Seven? Sure. Final answer. No. <laughs> yeah, go on. Um, firstly, I've just checked what a hectare is. It is a hundred metre size. It looks like it's about the size of a football pitch, apparently. Well, that doesn't help know. me at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, the answer is ten percent. Oh, so, okay. As of around 2015, there were 28 countries. Although I, I tried to find some more up-to-date information on this. Hmm. And the most recent information seems to suggest Perhaps less countries were now producing it, but that didn't seem interesting. right with the trends. So I'm a little bit mm. unsure of this, but as of 2015, according to the Royal Institute, there were 28 countries that were producing GM plants, which was accounting for over 10% of the world's arable land, which I thought was quite a lot. It was more than I that was expecting. Sound, yeah, that does sound high. Um, the majority of that is in the US and Brazil, and I think Argentina, mm. I think think Europe is an incredibly small percentage comparably with the majority being Portugal and Spain which I think is like 0.1% of the production um but yeah 10% is a huge amount it does that sounds really that sounds really high but Mm. I mean yeah I mean I am surprised but I, I suppose I thought for well I assume that GM was still a fairly small minority of crop yeah. production so may maybe Maybe I've been eating a lot more GM than I well, realised Well, possibly, but then I wonder I if a lot of it is going towards animal feed. Ah, uh, true. Yeah, that's a good point. Which a lot of crop production does go mm. towards anyway, so... That's a fair point. Yeah. But yeah, still a lot higher than I thought. Future Ashley dropping in here to clarify this point. That 10% of arable land used for GM crop production does include crops that are not commonly eaten, such as cotton, and also the data shows that the most commonly produced GM crop is soybeans. So this would indicate that a large proportion of the world's GM crops currently goes into animal feed. In the UK, animal products labelled as organic will not have been fed with GM foods. Um, And... Within Europe, there's been 19 EU states that fairly recently opted out of GM crop growth, um, mm-hmm. and that included Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland, but England has remained open to the potential of future crop growth. Okay. GM crop, well, which, yeah, odd one out there, but... <laughs> yeah, quite often the odd one out in our little group, yeah. aren't we? But in this particular case, I, you know, I don't know. Like, I, well, maybe... Maybe you'll reveal some information that will change my mind, but I am open to GM foods, personally. I think it's about mm. it's about whether the companies doing it have a sufficient level of corporate responsibility, much more mm. than it's about whether the idea in itself uh, is... I, I agree. I, I think there's, there's a lot of potential benefits, such as feeding the world (laughs) that (laughs) kind of comes from GM foods but there's still a lot of suspicion around it and I I think some of it links to what we were talking about with cultured meat in that there's that sort of food neophobia and we're evolutionarily suspicious Mm. of foods that don't fit with our idea idea of conventional but I think there's also been some bad press as well which is really absolutely I mean heightened people's sensitivity to those risks i mean my understanding essentially is that monsanto is definitely evil but that's (laughs) not the same as gmo being evil that's kind of my layperson's take on the situation yeah 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 i I, I wouldn't disagree with that but hey maybe that's unfair Mm. (laughs) (laughs) i don't know enough what i've gathered is the main concerns tend to be the possibility of it gm foods invoking allergic reactions Mm -hmm. the possibility of genes transferring from the gm food to the human through the gut okay um, or potentially the genes transferring from gm crops to wild species um, right yeah i understand has happened i think i think 
and I, did, I just saw this in passing, so don't quote me on it, but mm. <laughs> I understand there was some sort of legal battle in America or Canada where um, some GM production, um, GM crops had contaminated another farmer's field, but then the farmer got... Um, the farmer got sued for breach of oh, yeah. <laughs> infringement on copyright. Or yeah, or yeah, yeah. So something. this is one of the things that I have heard about Monsanto is that, like, yeah. because they patent their seeds, like, if a, mm. if one of their seeds blows into somebody's land and grows, then they can, like, sue for, like, yeah, exactly, like, patent breach I, sh- or I should check that out because that, that's yeah. unbelievable to me. I get, I mean, but... yeah, I could, this is something that I have heard, it's not something that I can corroborate, but it's definitely one of those things that is floating about, about Monsanto, but my understanding was that GM crops were generally bred to be infertile. Mm-hmm. We'll come on to that in a bit. <laughs> uh-huh, okay, interesting. Future Ashley again. So, I looked a bit deeper into this, and it does seem a little odd to me. But, in short, Monsanto has sued farmers who use its seeds without licensing agreement in order to protect their patents, but not for accidental cross-contaminations. A case was taken to the US Court of Appeals in which organic growers attempted to block Monsanto from suing farmers for traces of their patented technology. This appeal was unsuccessful, as the court deemed the growers to have no reason to doubt Monsanto at that point in time, as Monsanto's website said they wouldn't sue for trace amounts although Monsanto refused to sign a covenant saying this. So it seems a bit odd to me that the Court of Appeals would simply trust a statement on Monsanto's website as the foundation of a ruling, especially since it also noted that many conventional seeds had already become cross-contaminated. But it does seem that up until now, there has been no suing or successful suing for accidental GM cross-contamination. Also from Monsanto's side, there are a few points that are interesting to note. It isn't just GM seeds that are patent protected. Many traditionally bred crops are also protected in this way, just because of the time and resources that goes into their development. For example, in the late noughties, the cost of discovery, development and authorization of a new plant biotechnology trait was well over £100 million. So, next question. What is outcrossing? Is it A, the migration of genes from GM to conventional plants? Mm-hmm. B, the crossover from GM foods into human cells through the gastrointestinal tract? C, the process of inserting DNA from one species into another? Or D, the safety protocol undertaken prior to trading GM foods internationally? Oh, interesting. So my first thought when you said it was that it was something along the lines of A. So I'm going to go with my gut and not go with the gut uh, <laughs> answer. <laughs> I'm gonna so go, you mean B? <laughs> I'm going to go with A. I'm going to go with A. Yeah. A, the migration of genes from GM to conventional plants. Yeah, I'm going to plump for that one. Yes, that's correct. Hooray! <laughs> um, so yeah, so this has been one of the concerns and as well i i don't know whether the legal battle did end up the way that we've just said but clearly there is possibility of it infiltrating gm uh, species infiltrating other species which Mm. can cause various problems (laughs) on both sides really yeah it has been an interesting problem but i'm not aware of it being it's not been prevalent and i think as uh, i'm trying to say <laughs> without revealing another question we'll come back onto that again in a okay minute. we'll put a pin in it we'll put <laughs> ah. a pin in it. <laughs> yes put a pin in that some of the other issues though that kind of just mentioned in the outcrossing question so the crossover of gm foods into the human cells through the gastrointestinal tract so i read into this a bit more because that has been a concern for people and it actually gets super complicated and they ha- don't seem to have a conclusive answer on it Well, this is just really fascinating to me because we don't... I mean, this isn't a concern that we have about any other food, right? Exactly. So why would it be different with with GM foods? Why would it be more likely for... Is it because of the process of modification leaves some... I don't know, leaves a door open somehow? Somewhere Mm. in the genetic code? I mean, I, I don't... 
Well, I think that's, that's kind of what, in the paper that I was reading, what they were saying is that there's no evidence that GM foods have any higher propensity for the uptake of passing DNA through through into the gastrointestinal tract than, than traditional food. Uh-huh. And we don't go around worrying about that. So yeah. kind of any any harm that traditional foods would do, it, sh- it should be fairly similar. I suppose when I'm thinking about the concern, I guess the fact is you could be consuming genetic code which is from a species you wouldn't naturally eat i suppose Mm. so there's an example of golden rice or something like that where they they crossed a daffodil to bacteriums and rice Mm -hmm. to create a high vitamin a rice right Um, okay well I, i don't know whether the bacterium were ones you would maybe inadvertently eat but i suppose you don't usually eat daffodils well, <laughs> so I, maybe I don't know. I don't i'm know. sure i've eaten a daffodil at some point <laughs> but i mean yeah but then that's not really that's not so much a concern about genetic material entering your dna it's more a concern about poisoning or an allergic reaction which mm. is a bit more kind of commonplace i would say <laughs> Future Ashley, one last time here. It was found that Taco Bell brand taco shells sold in supermarkets contained the Starlink corn that had only been approved for animal feed. This was due to uncertainty about a potential allergic response from a protein in the GM corn, although the FDA said there was no known threat to human health. And allergic reactions, that is an interesting one. Mm. So there, oh, in fact, that leads us to another question. And then Excellent. I'll talk about so question three, what was the name of the modified maize product which caused controversy back in 2000, which led to a recall of and a 60 million pound damage fee to the American fast food chain Taco Bell? Ooh. Was it A, Starlink, uh-huh. B, Golden Rice, or C, Amflora? And I don't have a fourth one. Because <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> Alright, so you just told me about golden rice. Uh say say A and C again. So it's Starlink, Golden Rice, and Flora. And Flora. A M Flora. Hmm. For some reason I'm leaning that way. I don't know why. I'm gonna go with Anne Flora. Uh, I'm afraid not. Starlink. Oh. So Starlink back in two thousand was modified maze, which was supposed to well, it was only approved for animal feed, but it was found in human food, um, and it caused quite strong allergic reactions. Okay. Because it sticks in the digestive tract, and I don't understand how allergic <laughs> reactions work, but it <laughs> no. caused allergic reactions to people, and the protein that was used in that. So that caused allergic reaction, which I guess alerted people and caused a huge settlement fee of $60 million dollars. Um, to Taco Bell of all people. <laughs> so I'm just wondering, did it get into the human food by mistake, or was it that the it was in the animal's stomachs when they were slaughtered, and then? But then we don't really we don't. That would be like offal, wouldn't it? You don't normally eat. Most people don't eat offal. So the I don't impression know. I got that was that it was in normal maize, but okay. I'd need to read it a bit more carefully. Huh. Um, but I thought it was interesting because. Now, the safety assessments and kind of protocol involved in the development of GMOs and GM foods, allergenic potential is tested. Mm-hmm. Whereas kind of standard foods and that have been bred through traditional selective breeding of plants, they're not really tested for allergenicity. So That's interesting. Theoretically, now, because <laughs> mm. this was 20 years ago, now GM foods should supposedly be safer. As far as allergic reactions go, yeah. In terms of allergic reactions, yeah. So I think it's probably an unfair criticism of GM foods these Mm. days. That is really interesting. Well, I think that, I mean, in Little Joe, that idea of being very careful to do allergy tests is a big part of of the way it unfolds. Um, It feels like, even though there's definitely a sci-fi element to the film, in terms of kind of a lot of the science, it feels like it's grounded in reality. Um, mm. from from what's kind of coming across um, the other one so golden rice we talked about um, and that was yeah that golden rice was developed 
as a high vitamin A rice to counteract vitamin A deficiency, Mm -hmm. which affects millions of children and causes them to go blind. And about half of those children go on to die. Um, I don't... uh, I, I assumed it's a kind of comorbidity thing rather than a cause from... But I, I don't know. Yeah, sure. I mean, I would imagine that it's kind of general malnutrition that is kind yeah. of... Yeah. I don't even know what vitamin A is in. Hmm. It's not... Golden it's, rice. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's just like it's it's not something I've ever been concerned about being deficient in. It's like I take mm-hmm. vitamin D supplements... I sometimes take vitamin B complex supplements. I sometimes take iron, like blah, blah, blah. Like these are the ones that I've kind of had concerns about. It's never occurred to me to be concerned about vitamin A. So I wonder if it's kind of something that if you are not malnourished is a pretty easy thing to get as part of a normal diet. But that if you are malnourished, then that is one of the things that's going to happen. And possibly also one of these things that happens earlier in development as well. Like once you're an adult, it's not something you have to worry about so much. Which interestingly is my understanding of protein as well. Because it's one of those things, isn't it? Like as soon as somebody finds out you don't eat meat, they're like, (laughs) where do you get your protein? And it's like, well, first of all, there are a lot of... uh, Let's not get into this. (laughs) (laughs) Let's not get distracted. But the point is... um, you know, that the protein deficiency is really only something that occurs in children. Oh, right. Yeah, I, I think realise that. Yeah, I think it happened quite a lot in America during the Great Depression that a lot of children weren't getting enough protein. So there were, like, major kind of long-term health effects for that reason. And I'm sure that that's still true in a lot of places where, where children are malnourished. But it's not... Once you get to adulthood, I think it's much less of an issue because you're not really growing mm. anymore unless you're a bodybuilder, you know. I suppose it's that's not... it. If maybe if you're an athlete or yeah, bodybuilder, sure. then maybe you notice. But... Yeah, absolutely. Although there are vegan bodybuilders and athletes who oh, yeah, yeah. do but, just I mean, fine. If you, yeah. if you were protein deficient, you maybe be less likely to notice as an adult if it might well it wouldn't even really be a deficiency i don't think i think you know unless you're actively trying to grow muscle and you know like good on you if you are but it's not like a requirement it's not like a requirement for health whereas when you're younger and you are making muscles all the time and and growing then it's going to be much more important anyway where where are we Um, question question four question yeah um so the third one in question three, Amphora, mm. um, I think was a potato variant which was <clears throat> modified to get rid of amylose or amylopectin, which is kind of one of the two starchy compounds in potatoes. Um, but that wasn't for food purposes. It was for industrial use to make things like paper and textiles, I think. Oh, interesting. Yeah. I get. I mean, mm. trust me to go for the potato answer. <laughs> <laughs> won't say it irish (laughs) um right so question four okay um what does pleiotropic mean is it a a gmo that has been developed for one purpose but has turned into something unexpected Mm -hmm. b the production of a single gene with two or more seemingly unrelated effects b sorry c (laughs) increased (laughs) capacity to accept genes into the genome or d a GMO with gene insertions from multiple sources. Oh. If I, you want I'm, me to say them again, I can, because there was quite a long Yeah. Time. I'm trying okay. to get it from, like, etymology, but I don't... The only... <sighs> thought you would do that. Yeah. That's I don't I'm specifically given the other alternative. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't... I actually don't know what pleo or tropic mean (laughs) to be totally honest so obviously i know i know the word tropical so i could kind of guess but none of those are really vibing with that so yeah i don't know yeah give them give them to me again and i'll see if any of them okay a a genetically modified organism that has been developed for one purpose but has turned into something unexpected Mm -hmm. b the production of a single gene with two or more seemingly unrelated effects. Mm-hmm. C, increased capacity to accept genes into the genome. Or D, a GMO with gene insertions from multiple sources. 
Okay, and it's pleiotropic? Yep, so P-L-E-I-O-tropic. Wow, okay. I think it's pleiotropic. Yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure you're right. Uh, Yeah, it means nothing to me. Okay, I'm going to go with... What was the one about the gene? (laughs) They all talked about genes. (laughs) Okay, A. What was the one about the gene that had more than one function? Um, so the gene ones was B, the production of a single gene with two or more seemingly unrelated effects. Uh-huh. C, increased capacity to accept gene as genome. I'm going to go, I'm going to go for B. I'm going to go for B. It's a complete <sighs> punt. Oh, you're right. Oh, yeah. super annoying. <laughs> yes. Um, pleiotropic is where a single gene has two or more unrelated effects. Um, so this has been an area of concern for some researchers who've, I identified that pleiotropic effects may lead to undesirable effects right, um, right, such yeah. as increased naturally occurring toxicants or altering the nutritional content where you try to change something else such as right, making more yeah. herbs so like um, if there's a single gene that can make something super delicious but it can also make something poisonous exactly then that's a yeah. concern yeah but I, I suppose we still have a limited understanding of what individual genes do absolutely Although, yeah kind of our understanding is so much greater than it was even 10 years ago that there's still limitations and we don't know what every single gene does and when you manipulate one it might have an undesirable effect that you didn't realize mm. um, so some researchers have raised concerns around that all right how am i doing so far i know um, i got one right the hector one which i didn't get 10 percent didn't get that one um, outcrossing. Oh, we got that. Um, so we're level at the moment. Ugh. Ugh. <laughs> um, and I've only got one question left. <laughs> oh, <dear. laughs> um, so we were talking about pleiotropic. So as other concerns that researchers have had, um, which I kind of just wanted to run through, mm-hmm. there were there's concerns over, especially kind of in ecology fields, where they've raised concerns about whether the potential of pest-resistant crops could end up harming colonies of other insects, such as mm. monarch butterflies, for example. And this is where yes. I'm wondering if there's a relationship with bees as well. But so far, that hasn't proved to be an issue. And there seemed to be a huge study on monarch butterflies which found that they are declining, unfortunately, but that's been happening for a long period over the last 50 years. Yeah, and I mean... There would may that be a relationship be... with GMO, but not... Would that be more closely related to pesticide use than pest-resistant ah, crops? Ah, good point. Probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good point, actually. And in fact, if you had pest-resistant crops, then you could use fewer pesticides, and that might potentially reverse the damage to pollinators. I don't know. Am I am I going too far? Maybe. Um, but it leads into another concern, uh-huh. where if you have pest-resistant crops i suppose similarly to the kind of viral mutations we see in the pandemic at the moment is potentially the pests will become resistant to the pest resistant crops oh super um, pests super pests yes <gasps> oh super my bugs. god that's a horror <laughs> film waiting to happen Why oh has yeah that not been a film yet <laughs> um so that there's concerns that that could occur yeah um and i suppose you end up with some Huge battle between superbugs and <laughs> superfoods. <laughs> um, no, my understanding is that it's um, um, the companies that produce the, um, so the pesticides which are funding the research for ensuring that this doesn't happen. What, that the pest-resistant cro- crops don't happen? That the pest-resistant crops don't cause, create superbugs, basically. Right, so because they're I, the I ones then... who are potentially trying to stir up trouble about the pest-resistant crops, because if there are pest-resistant yeah. crops, they don't need pesticides anymore, and we mm. stop killing all the butterflies but, and bees. Or, or I suppose that the pests will become... Their pesticides won't work either, because the pests mm. will evolve to be something different. I don't know. I don't yeah. know. I, I, I smell a conspiracy here. <laughs> Um, similarly if there's an increase in herbicide usage on herbicide resistant plants the surrounding weeds may become resistant to the herbicide super weeds super weeds super weeds i love it i love it (laughs) um so yeah 
multiple concerns there. Um, oh, again, I'm not concerned. I'm looking forward <laughs> to it. Bring on the super weeds. Come on. Right, you'll regret that. For it. <laughs> <laughs> um, and kind of on a similar vein, um, so when we were talking a bit a minute ago about the potential of genes crossing over from, mm-hmm. from GM foods into the human gut and could that affect or integrate with the human genome so firstly there's there is a presence of food dna which can be detected in human or animal blood but there's very limited evidence that any dietary dna can integrate into the genome Mm -hmm. and there's certainly no evidence that suggests that this any dna uptake does convert into expression so like no one's growing leaves out of their head well Um, unless they have a cabbage for a head which i do also, the digestive tract is designed to absorb, absorb basically, and absorb nutrients. So it's not a total barrier against DNA fragments. Mm. Um, but as we said earlier, we've we've been exposed to food DNA in our diet for millennia. Yeah, and there's not any evidence that GM foods are going to be any different. Other than maybe what we said earlier in that could we be consuming something slightly different? I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, this research is still ongoing. However, there does seem to be. From the study I read, which I think was from last year, only at that time, only one human study that demonstrates there is an occurrence potentially of DNA transferring into the gut microbiota. Okay. Um, which means potentially you could, for if it was, for example, a antibiotic sort of resistant plant, I don't know, it could cause your microbiota to become more antibiotic resistant or well, something. Okay, so, okay, so it okay. could incorporate so, some of the resistance that's in the GM plant. But, okay, but can I just put in here to say, it aren't animals that are reared for meat pumped with antibiotics? And isn't that mm. much more of a concern? I would say it's much more of a concern. I don't know what the kind of, what the statistics are on that as to kind of likelihood of antibiotic resistance through... But I suppose that's a much more real issue, yeah. I mean... I think that's definitely more of a concern than the GM ones. Yeah. Uh, well, all right, yeah. Because for, for the GM one to occur, it's for a start, the occurrence is likely to be fairly negligible. So, And if it does happen, it's going to be on a much smaller scale. Whereas, like you said, that, that is definitely happening. Yeah, I mean, all right, yeah. I, one concern shouldn't negate another. But at the same time, it feels like this is something that is already definitely happening with the food that a lot of people are eating right now. Yeah. So it kind of feels like almost a moot point to be kind yeah, of yeah. like, potentially GM crops could maybe a little bit. And it's like, well, yeah, but it's already happening with the meat that you're eating right now. Like, That's it's true, in yeah. your burger. It, it shouldn't be something that puts you off using it, eating mm. it. Um, but I think more of a note to people who are developing them is that it's something to be aware of in the, in looking out for not including antibiotic-resistant genes. Sure, absolutely. Um, which I guess could become... Would that be more likely if with animal GMO animals? Um, I would want antibiotic resistant, would you? Or would mm. I honestly have no idea? But I mean, I would imagine <laughs> that if you're, I mean, if you're feeding a bunch of antibiotics into animals, which is, as far as I'm aware, is like really happening right now. Mm, yeah. I mean, that feels like some like they're going to develop a resistance. I mean, we develop a resistance to antibiotics if we take too many. That's why they try not to overprescribe them. So, yeah, I don't know. It, it feels mm. like it's already a concern regardless of the GM aspect to me. And I, I think the, the benefits of GM technologies, although not fully fleshed out obviously well i say not fully fleshed out it's using 10 <laughs> percent of the world's arable land so so fairly fleshed out yeah. <laughs> okay. yeah more than i thought for sure yeah um but the benefits are are quite fast like for example with, without gm technologies in again the most recent data i could find but without gm technologies in the 2010s eu farmers would have required an additional 32% of land to produce the same mm. quantity of food and when we're kind of seeing increased pressure on food production as we discussed in the previous episode and increased population and all that we need more efficient food production and that could include things such as cultured meat but also genetic modification yeah absolutely and it 
means we can facilitate the growth of food with using less land, less pesticides, maybe hopefully less water. Mm. And I, th- I think that's kind of essential to feed humanity right now. On kind of a bit of a related but not GMO topic, though, um, there's I found out recently that the, I think it's Harbour or Haber-Bosch process, which converts nitrogen into hydrogen, mm. um, sorry, nitrogen and hydrogen into ammonia, which is an essential nutrient for plants. It's estimated that crop production could only feed half of the global population if we didn't use this process, oh. which has been around for quite a while. But again, it's I would call it still a type of biotechnology in which we're manipulating our crop growth well, this is, for our this own is purposes. The thi- I mean, well, we've been doing this for centuries, right? We've exactly. been breeding animals to have certain characteristics. I, I, and I would say that been... from the start of agri- agriculture, that, yeah. that's what agriculture is on a... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert here, but I would say that selectively growing certain plants and looking after them is that that's what we're doing. We're, we're manipulating the food. Yeah, so and the same with the domestication of animals. You know, yeah. it's exactly the same thing. And I mean, you know, you can see that process in obviously this isn't for food, but you can see it in the domestic dog. I mean, look mm. at the difference. Like between... Labradoodles. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, but you know, look at the difference between a pug and an Akita, and then look at a wolf. Right? You know, yeah. it's like it's very clear that we have done something to these animals. <laughs> like they didn't start out that way. You know. Mm. And, but, uh, so yeah, I... we, we, we've been, we're already, we've already been manipulating and engineering what we eat. Absolutely, so, yeah. Yes, we have taken it a step further with technology, but uh, the essence of it, I don't think, is. Any but it's all technology. I think that I think the the this kind of issue that we have is that we only think of things as being technology when they're new and when they've been around for a while we don't think of them as being technology but you know not only is the printing press technology the pen is technology yeah you know like all of these things and agriculture is technology that is not how we adapted we adapted as nomads who hunted and gathered primarily gathered actually millions of years (laughs) yeah absolutely and agriculture was this huge technological innovation that Mm, the first revolution absolutely completely changed the way we live and has had unbelievable well believable but huge repercussions on the way that we live now Mm. and that's technology so i think that this is this kind of cognitive dissonance that we have which is that we only class things as being technology if we're not used to them and then you know as soon as we've had a bit of time to get used to them we just take them for granted and we don't think of them as being technical anymore whereas actually almost everything about the way we live does involve technology even when we talk about getting back to nature a lot of the time we're talking about farming which is not again how we adapted to live you know Mm. we have we have this nature culture divide which is actually largely based on a misunderstanding of what nature really is and how we really interact with it you know which i think is interesting Mm. How would you define what nature is then? In, Ooh, in... red and tooth and claw? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I know that everybody else is wrong, but that doesn't mean I know what the right <laughs> answer is. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> yeah, so anyway, so technologies are... We're already super dependent on various technologies, such as mm-hmm. the Haber-Bosch process. So what, what's happening in a few GM crops? <laughs> going yeah, to do? what harm? What harm? Bring it up. I guess the I guess the thing is what are you willing to risk and what are you willing to accept because what we have at the moment is a humanitarian crisis where vast swathes of the human population on the planet are not getting the food they need to survive mm. right so yeah. do you accept that status quo because of potential concerns you have about these technologies Mm. Or do you say that can't go on, that's unacceptable, and we need to accept a certain level of risk in order to, to deal with that gigantic humanitarian crisis? So <laughs> that, I guess that's how... But at the same time, I will say, I, I do still, from what I know about Monsanto, and to be <laughs> fair, you know, some of this may be urban legends, but from what I have heard about Monsanto, from what I understand about Monsanto... They're pretty terrible, <laughs> and I'm not saying that these companies 
themselves are kind of paragons of moral virtue but that's not to say that the technology should be discounted yeah i i've never heard good things about monsanto but i haven't i haven't looked into it so it'd be unfair Mm. of me to jump to a conclusion yeah the gm technology so they as yet the majority of commercialized gm foods are gm in as far as they are either disease um, or pesticide resistant or are genetically modified to improve yield so kind of very much producer focused improving farmers livelihoods i suppose mm. and and that has has had a big effect such as the extra 32% of land in the eu would have needed for the same quantity of food and i think something like tripled farmers incomes gm production over like the late 90s to mid 2000s interesting i mean i would be curious to know what effect it had if any on uh, the incomes of farm laborers who i think are still very Mm. exploited and underpaid uh, in many places um, as Mm. far as i'm aware but uh, i think we're kind of only really just starting to touch on the possibilities of gm technology because as with what we were just saying about golden rice with enhanced nutritional profiles and things like that that becomes quite exciting because if we can produce enough food with less with enhanced nutrition which potentially helps with a malnutrition in many parts of the world but also issues that we face in the west such as i guess obesity and other such issues that that could have quite wide implications which well, I, th- I think it's quite exciting it's quite interesting well kind of the there's cultural factors play quite a strong role in how in the degree of skepticism as well with gm food so for example mm. um there was a study that looked at consumer acceptance skepticism of gm foods in i think it was london paris and rome and they were looking at the three generations of gm food so the first generation are gm foods which has has the focus on increased yield that kind of practical production based genetic modifications um then the second generation being those such as with enhanced nutritional profiles or better taste or increased shelf life that's another interesting one mm. potentially which again keys back to some of the issues we talked about in the culture meat episode in that food waste has a huge huge impact on the environment so what, what was it like a third of food produced goes to waste and if genetically modified food can reduce that that's also having a huge benefit on the environment so anyway so second generation foods being those and then the third generation i can't remember but it seemed to be a bit more industrial focused which so i kind of <laughs> didn't pay much attention but <laughs> firstly consumers seem to be more willing to accept second generation genetically modified foods potentially because there's those more tangible benefits such as it could taste better it could be better for me mm. than they are trying something which has just been grown to been genetically modified to grow faster yeah i mean that makes sense i guess it's it's a whole kind of superfood thing right well like every every five years or so a new food gets marketed as a superfood and it's like well they're all just foods really but but yeah i mean i think that really appeals to people as it's almost like um i'm optimizing the productivity of my nutrient intake with this food like that's there's something about that that people like so i I think that's interesting though because i wonder if that will be a bit of a turn in the tides with genetically modified foods if it starts to become more the benefits start to become more tangible to consumers is that going to start to change the general opinion and reduce the skepticism that's currently there um so i thought it was quite interesting but also Mm. the cultural factors in that italian consumers seem to show much more sensitivity to the potential risks of bioengineered food possibly because they have very high traditional culinary value yeah yeah (laughs) i i saw a thing i think there's like a facebook group or a twitter account or something that's called italians mad at food and um there was one where somebody was saying if you (laughs) how dare you snap your spaghetti before you put it in the pan would you snap your do that (laughs) well according to this it makes it fit who says (laughs) Would you snap your child in half? Same before thing. putting them in the pan. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't. I mean, no. You, it's fine to snap your spaghetti in half. That it's completely fine. But it's just very funny, and it's kind of like, 
Well, I mean, you're still going to eat it though, right? I mean... That's kind of what I figure. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it makes it cook quicker. <laughs> well, it just means that it doesn't do that thing where it like bends in half and then Yeah, half and then like sticks it's... to the pan. Yeah, like half Maybe we're not isn't... good cooks. Well, I will <laughs> accept that I'm not a good cook, but that doesn't mean that you don't snap your spaghetti. I mean, one doesn't follow from the other. We might um, get loads of complaints from saying this. <laughs> from Italians. <laughs> Bring it on. Try me. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, that really uh, makes a lot of sense. Um, that, yes, that there would be that high cultural value of um, the kind of sacredness of treating food mm. in a certain way that maybe is not as strong in other cultures, perhaps British culture being one, <laughs> um, to be fair. Mm. Right, question five. All right. So, um, what is the Terminator in GMO biotech? Is it A, a plant that causes mortality to conventional crops in the surrounding area? B, a plant that can only germinate once? C, a plant where the apical, 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 <laughs> um, meristem, which is the growth region in plants, um, is engineered to prevent growth after a set, certain set point, or D, a cyborg plant. <laughs> oh, I still want it to be D. <laughs> but I, hmm, I want to say C. I want to say C. C, um, the growth set point one. Yeah. Yeah. No. Oh. <laughs> um, so it's a plant that can only germinate. Nate once, which is what you were talking about earlier okay. about um, so seed sterilization. Yeah, well, it wasn't your first choice. <laughs> you don't get points for that. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so t- terminator or seed sterilization technology, um, which is what you were talking about a bit ago, where yeah, it genetically, where a seed is genetically designed to switch off a plant's ability to germinate a second time. Yeah. Um, so this so- is again something that's in Little Joe. They talk about uh deliberately engineering the plants to be infertile so that they yes. uh yeah. Um so interestingly from what I can find, um the technology was created but was never commercialized. Hmm. Um so I from what I understand it looked like Monsanto was and potentially someone else as well was planning to bring it in. Um, but they were pressurised to drop it, and that was in the late 90s. Oh, interesting. And from what I can tell, it never was commercialised. Um, but interestingly, that sort of technology can maybe um, have benefits too. From what I understood, it might benefit cross-pollination issues in agriculture. Mm. Well, that makes um, sense, right? That if a plant yeah. is bred to be infertile, then it's much less likely to accidentally crossbreed with a wild plant, right? Exactly. So when we're talking earlier about the issues of cross-pollination and it kind of um, GMO plants contaminating the natural biosphere, potentially seed sterilization technology could stop that. And yeah. also, also for farmers as well, where like if you've got a field of organic crop, and your neighbour with the GMO crop, it spreads all its seeds over yours, then it's it's going to ruin your harvest. Um, yeah. So it's not necessarily all bad, but. But I suppose the reason why Monsanto wanted to do this was so that farmers could not raise generations of the same crop from just one set of seeds, so it'd have to keep coming back year after year. So I guess there are benefits and drawbacks to farmers. Yes, exactly. And it becomes a very interesting ethical question, which I guess we don't have time to go into, but it's a kind of the privatisation of a plant's genetic resources and... Yeah, that it becomes very complicated, doesn't it? Because I suppose nature is accessible to everyone, and if you grow a plant from a seed, then the produce is usually yours, mm. and it it becomes a different game. But well, yeah, yeah this is this is one of the things that I have heard against Monsanto. I think I pretty much said this earlier, but that they patent the seeds so that yes. if somebody grows one who who doesn't have the right to it then they can be done for it which does feel mm. very um feels like it, a it, sharp business practice but at the same time it makes sense because you you patent 
things that you develop and te- technologies and you do it with anything else and it is, it is a technology so it's totally instinctively, understandable yeah instinctively it feels wrong though doesn't it yeah i suppose it's because you think instinctively it's i suppose it depends who they do it with if it's i suppose disadvantaged farmers in developing nations who are dependent on the seed from one crop to the next it feels unfair if it's i don't know some huge multi-glomerate agricultural industry who multi-glomerate are... <laughs> is that our word <laughs> i don't think so conglomerate multi- oh, whatever <laughs> um if yeah if it's some huge business that's making billions and they're making 30 percent more because they're using the monsanto seeds that's with super high yield then yeah does... but is that i don't know i is don't know bad? either i don't know it sounds like a really they can probably afford to buy another set of seeds that, again as you say we don't have time to get into no. but what we do have time for <sighs> is a bonus question because so we, what are we on are we, draw, are we drawing at we're the drawing we're two Ooh, all as far is that as on I can... purpose <laughs> no, no, I play to win, okay. but it is a nice little consolation prize to me that I get to use my bonus question, which is very silly. Um, in Okja, Tilda Swinton plays a pair of identical twin sisters, but this was not the first time she had done so. True or false? No, it's true. But what? who... <laughs> It just, I hope it sound, I get that point. It sounded like a true or false question, but no, it's um, it's a multiple choice. Who directed her other twin oh. film? What? A. Wes Anderson. B. The Coen Brothers. Or C. Derek Jarman. And I can hear typing. You better not be <laughs> I'm typing Googling. it down so that I'm not Googling. I'm just okay. writing them down so I don't forget the names. But okay. I've forgotten the last one you said now. <laughs> Derek Jarman. Derek Jarman. Oh. So I've not heard of Derek Jarman. Wes Anderson, Coen Brothers. Kenny talks about the Coen Brothers. Well, they're all directors. Well, I know they're all directors. I'm and they with. are all directors who've worked with Tilda Swinton as well. So, um... Well, that doesn't help them. I was kind of leaning towards Wes Anderson because that felt fitting, but now you've just said she's worked with all of them, then they're all fitting, obviously. I'm going to go with Coen Brothers. Woo! Is that right? Yeah, do I win? You did it! Aren't you glad I let you or you let me do the question? <laughs> yes! That's the first one I've won. <laughs> Hooray! Well done. Yeah, so she actually played um, a pair of twin gossip columnists in the Coen Brothers film, Hail Caesar, which came out a year before Okja. Awesome. Well, you won this one. Yes! So... Don't get used Finally. to it. Uh, I won't. I'm coming um, for you next time. <laughs> uh, no, don't make it harder. <laughs> no, I won't. I already don't have a quiz. <laughs> Thanks to all you lovely listeners for, well, listening. Tune in next week for Shake It Like a Polaroid Picture. In this episode, we will be talking all about fine-tuning nutrition through meal replacement technologies, delving into the science, the fiction, and, of course, the science fiction. Don't forget that you can get in touch with us via themoscale at gmail.com or at themoscale on Twitter and Instagram. Until next time, see you then.